Now, probably when you were growing up, your parents said this to you. What do you say? And more often than not, it would have been when somebody had given you something or done something for you and they are prompting you to express your gratitude. In other words, there's something that has been done and it calls for an appropriate response. And so you get prompted, what do you say? Because there's something that's appropriate to say in that moment. Now, I don't remember, I'm sure my parents said that to me. I'm sure that I've said that to my kids. I'm sure that you've seen or heard that, but it just reinforces the idea that there are some words that are appropriate for the moment. And when somebody does something for you, it's appropriate to say, Thank you. In this edition of the best advice I ever got, I'm going to share with you some of the best advice that I ever got about what we say and what's uh, the right thing to say, the best thing to say, what to say in just about any circumstance. Because sometimes we are looking for the right thing to say. We want to make sure that we say the right thing. We don't want to say the wrong thing. So what do you say? And some of the best advice that I ever got on that topic, I probably heard it in a variety of different ways, but uh, the person that I most associate with this advice is actually my wife, Sue Ellen, uh, because she, I remember early on in our marriage, pointed out that whenever that she tried, whenever she saw something good or thought something good about someone or about a situation to express it, to say something good. And so when you think something good to say something good, that's the kind of the thought. And she's the one that most often reminds me of that. And the one that I think most often models that in uh, my circle. And so I'm very grateful for that because that helps me to remember that when I think of something good to say, and I think of something that would be helpful, when I think of something that would be beneficial to others to go ahead and say it, because if you don't say it, then it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good to that person, to the situation, just to think it. So when something good occurs, go ahead and say it. Now that habit, is actually something that uh, is pretty common and pretty encouraged in the scriptures. Here's an example. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So what's he saying there? He's saying that the idea of saying encouraging things to build each other up, to edify each other, to say the thing that is going to be helpful in a particular situation is something that you're doing as a course of habit. It's just uh, the way that you live your life as a follower of Jesus. And so he encourages them to keep on doing it, to keep on encouraging and in building each other up. And this can be so beneficial and so important because there are times where we need that encouragement. There are times where we think something, but it doesn't do any good unless it is expressed. And I'm sure we've all been in situations, circumstances, places where encouraging words were not the habit, and in fact, it might not have happened very often, or the habit was to tear each other down, to put each other down, to say discouraging and, and destructive things. 
and we know how damaging that can be. It can be so discouraging and so disappointing and so frustrating. You go and you pour your all into something and you don't get any recognition, no thank you, no acknowledgement so whatsoever. And that just feels wrong. It's, it's wrong that somebody should pour their heart into something and then not get recognized. Or I'm sure that almost all of us can relate that somebody somewhere has said something that was destructive, that tore us down, that really injured us. And as a result of that, we remember it. And those words just keep coming up over and over again. And sometimes the people that said these words, they're no longer in your life. They might be dead and gone, but those words live on and continue to cause pain and destruction in your life. Those lies take root and then they begin to bear their awful fruit. So uh, the idea the ideal, the best thing, the thing that should be happening is that we should be encouraged. We should be surrounded by people who are encouraging us, recognizing us, building us up. But so often it's the case that we don't experience that. And instead, sometimes we experience the opposite. So today we are talking about our speech. What do you say? How do you know the right thing to say? When do you say it? And we're talking about speech. We're going to look at several, uh, two particular passages and one story in the first passage. And this is going to be our focus uh, scripture, which is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And in this passage, we see Jesus and he's going to accomplish a healing, but it's interesting what happens with the people who experience this blessing. So let's look at the story and then we're going to draw a bottom line from it and we're going to then unpack a couple of different applications of how we know what to say. So this is Luke chapter 17 verses 11 to 19. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Then he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word to speak to us today, that you would encourage, edify, build up everyone who is watching or listening. I thank you, Lord, that it is your design and desire that our words will do exactly that, encourage and build each other up. And I pray that that's what will be accomplished in this time together 
and that beyond that, that we will be surrounded by people who will encourage and build us up and that we will be determined to do the same. Lord, may it be our habit as a people, as families, as a church, to use our words to encourage and build up. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, so here's the bottom line that I'm gonna draw over this. And this is the one thing that I want you to remember. If you're not gonna listen to the whole thing, at least remember this part. And that is that we say what needs to be said to meet the need that needs to be met. We say what needs to be said to, say, to meet the need that needs to be met. And in this story that we just looked at, we see several examples of that kind of thing. Uh, saying, saying what needs to be said to meet the need that needs to be met. Now, in this particular story, it focuses on the idea of expressing gratitude and thankfulness. So the first thing that I want you to notice here and the thing that needs to be said is that unexpressed gratitude is indistinguishable from ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude is indistinguishable from ingratitude. Now, why did I as a parent, why did my parents, why do other parents encourage their children to say thank you? Because if it's unexpressed, then it's indistinguishable from ingratitude. You might feel very thankful, you might be appreciative, but unless you express that gratitude, nobody is gonna know and it's indistinguishable from in gratitude. So let's look at this passage again. It's verse uh, 11 in chapter 17 of Luke. Jesus has continued on Jeru to Jerusalem. He's traveling and he's on his way somewhere. He reaches the border between Galilee and Samaria. That's important because it's a border town. Galilee was uh, a place where there were many Jews who lived. Samaria is where the Samaritans lived. And uh, of course, you may know that there is great animosity between Jews and Samaritans. So he's on this border town. You're unlikely to encounter on a border town people from both places. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In the scriptures, leprosy was uh, kind of a catch-all term for a variety of different skin diseases. And in order to prevent infection, they were separated, they were quarantined, they lived in permanent, unending quarantine from normal society. And so in order, they, had, they were untouchables, they were not allowed to participate in society, they would not have been able to go to Thanksgiving with their, with their friends and family, they had to stay separate from one another uh, or from society at large. So you have these 10 people who have this serious skin disease and as a result have been excluded from society. So they're standing at a distance, they had to stand at a distance, that was part of the rules and laws at that time, and they're crying out to Jesus. Probably his reputation is already known, they know that he is a healer and they want help, so they're crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. What are they asking for? They are asking for healing. So Jesus looked at them. He notices them. 
And this is kind of an important thing because in many cases, probably people would have passed by. People would have tried to ignore them, but he looks at them. He notices them and he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, that might not make sense to you at first, but if um, probably there's a footnote in your version of the scriptures that explain or point you back towards a passage in the Old Testament, in particular the book of Leviticus, where it talks about what to do in order to be confirmed that you have been healed of your leprosy and how you can, the process that you go through in order to re-enter into society because you are now healed, you are well, you are, to use the biblical term, cleansed. That's the way they talked about being healed. So Jesus is telling them to do the thing that you would do if you were healed of your leprosy. Now they're standing there and they are still sick. They still have this problem, but he tells them to go ahead and go as if you were well and you just have to have it confirmed. So they take him at his word and they head off and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So they, it, it had to be just a dramatic, amazing, overwhelming experience. They're crying out, asking Jesus to heal them. I can picture them thinking, oh, well, you know, he's gonna wave his hand or he's going to, come over and touch our skin or do something but instead he just tells them to go and they obey and they go and as they're walking they notice that their skin is clearing up and healing with every step and just the amazing overwhelming sense that they would have had that they are cleansed that they're being healed and that they're going to be able to get a hug from their family, re-engage with society. They don't have to be separate and alone anymore. And so it would have been this amazing experience and all 10 of them, and I just imagine the joy and the wonder and the excitement. Now what happens next is interesting. In verse 15, it says, one of them, there were 10, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. So he's on his way to the priest. He's healed and he recognizes what's going on. But before he goes to the priest, he's going to come back. Or maybe it actually doesn't even say that. It doesn't tell when they came back. But this one comes back. Maybe he went to the priest first. Maybe not. He comes back and he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. So there's 10 that are healed. One of them comes back, expresses his gratitude, and it says that this one was a Samaritan. So he's one of the outsiders within the outsiders. Uh, and this is a person that um, might have thought that, that Jesus had something against him because he was uh, an outsider or a foreigner. And there was this great animosity between Jews and Samaritans, but he doesn't care. He's just going to come back and he expresses his gratitude. And I just think about, that just makes me think about so often the people that are in our lives that most need to hear our expressions of gratitude are sometimes the ones that we um, that we think, oh, you know, we expect that. You know, the, the, the people who are a part of Jesus' own tribe, his own people, 
are the ones that didn't bother to say thank you. It was the outsider that came back and said thank you. So Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Yeah, it's like, okay, I've got one coming back and saying thank you, but uh, I thought there were 10 that I sent off to the priests because they were going to be healed. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? In other words, this guy is doing the appropriate thing. He's closing the circle. He's doing the right thing. It's what, you know, just, just like your parents, what do you say? When somebody does something for you, you say thank you. And he gets that. He comes back. He says thank you. He expresses his gratitude. And uh, they've asked for something. Jesus has met that request. And the guy comes back and completes the circle by saying Thank you. It makes me think of this verse uh, from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't be anxious about anything. It's about prayer. Uh, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. In other words, when you want something, go ahead and ask. Don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. Ask God for what you want and uh, Present your request to God. But look at the phrase that's thrown in there in the middle with thanksgiving. So don't forget when you're expressing the things that you want, when uh, God comes through, make sure that you express your gratitude. Back to Jesus. This is the way he sums it up. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Here's the guy who is an outsider. It's the ones who are a part of my own people that didn't bother to express their gratitude. But this outsider, this foreigner, he's the one who comes back and expresses his thankfulness. Again, just a reminder that sometimes it's the people that cl are closest to us that we take uh, for granted and we need to express our gratitude even to the people who are doing things for us day in and day out and we just kind of expect it. We kind of get used to it. Nothing wrong with expressing gratitude in that situation because expressing gratitude is the thing that needs to be said. When somebody does something for you, you say thank you. And we say what needs to be said to meet the need that needs to be met. And sometimes expressing our gratitude is how that need gets met. Now, the second aspect that I want to pull out of this is that we, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to tell ourselves the truth. I want you to tell yourself the truth. Now, we often don't think about it in this light, but we know that we're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to tell the truth, you're not supposed to lie, and we get that, but most often we think about that in the context of our relationships. And yes, that's important that we want to tell others, tell our uh, the people around us, the truth. A lie is a way of manipulating people. Uh, it's a way of trying to force others to do what you want them to do, to control them. And so we tell lies in order to get them to think a certain way and then respond a certain way. However, we don't often think about the fact that we should be telling ourselves the truth as well. This is actually from the title of a book uh, that I read 
telling yourself the truth. And it just was a reminder that just as you're supposed to tell others the truth, it's important to tell yourself the truth as well. And so, so very often we tell ourselves lies and we think that it's humility or we just excuse it, but it's not right. It is not meeting the need. And in fact, it is discouraging and destroying, tearing down yourself. And that's not what a loving Heavenly Father wants for you either. But we say things like, oh, I'm just no good at that, or I can't understand that, or it's always going to be like this, or I can't ever do anything differently. I'm stuck. We tell ourselves these things, but an objective, logical, truthful evaluation of the circumstance would lead you to a different conclusion that you actually can make some changes. You can make a difference. You can adjust your circumstances. You are actually better at it or able to understand, or there are changes that you can make. We sometimes lie to ourselves when we really need to be telling ourselves the truth. So, Let's think about what's the tape that you're playing over and over again in your mind. Is it truthful? And how do you determine what's truthful? You compare it to what God has said in his word, what is an accurate assessment. <clears throat> this is just basic for people who are followers of Jesus. And I want to lead you through this. This is the second passage we're going to look at. It's Ephesians chapter 4. And it starts out that in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul has been describing to the church at Ephesus the, the benefits and the, the way that salvation works through Jesus Christ. And now he's making a shift and he's talking more about how we apply it, how we live this out. And so he says, since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him. What's he saying? You've heard the gospel, the story of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what it means for us. You've accepted that. You've said yes to Jesus. You've learned the truth that comes from him. Notice how this whole idea of truth is so completely wrapped up in the idea of the gospel and what Jesus says. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And so here it's saying, you know the truth now. You found it in Jesus. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is being corrupted by lust and deception. Uh, lust sticks out to us because most often we think that in terms of illicit sexual activity, but it's really a more generic word than that. It just means unhealthy, unhelpful, evil desires, the desire for the wrong thing. But look how, how he's lining this up. It's your old sinful nature. It's the you before Jesus, your former way of life, the way that you walked before you knew Jesus. And what's tied up in that? This whole idea of deception, that deception, trying to lie, trying to manipulate yourselves or uh, or others by deception. That belongs to the old you, but there's a new you now. Instead, let the Spirit 
renew your thoughts and attitudes. In other words, you're now going to think differently. You're not going to be deceived and deceiving others. You're, the Holy Spirit of God is now within you. He's renewing. What does he do? He renews your thoughts and attitudes. He gives you a new way of thinking about things that is in, in, line, in line with the truth. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so, you have this new identity in Christ, and it's so tied up in the truth and who uh, you are. And so now he's shifting and he's going to make application. And so his very first application of this truth is this. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. We're all one. We're all in this together. And so we're not going to use lies to try to manipulate and control others. We stop telling lies. Now, if that is the application for us as followers of Jesus, how much more so should we not tell ourselves lies? And sometimes we allow the enemy of our soul to plant those thoughts in our mind. Why does he do that? Why is the devil called the father of lies because he wants to control you. He wants to manipulate you. He wants to ruin your life. And sometimes the way that he can do that is by planting those lies. And sometimes we just believe them. We just accept them. We internalize them and we tell them back to ourselves over and over again. So if we're going to say what needs to be said to meet the needs that need to be met, we have got to stop telling ourselves lies about ourselves and start telling ourselves the truth. We say what needs to be said to meet the needs that need to be met, and that means telling yourself the truth. And then lastly, that means applying that to others as well. Say what the needs need to be said. Say what the needs need to be said. So, uh, now, the, the phrase is usually, say what needs to be said. And often we think about that in terms of, well, I'm just going to say what needs to be said. I'm going to tell them off. I'm going to tell them what for. I'm going to lay it on them. Well, uh, sometimes things can be truthful, but not helpful. Jesus was full of grace and truth, 100% grace, 100% truth. He was 100% gracious and 100% truthful. And so what this is saying is that just about every situation that you encounter with someone, there is a need. And you can so often meet that need by what you say. And very often what we say is not what's needed at all. So it's not just giving vent to your frustration. It is assessing the situation, seeing what needs are there, and then say what the needs need to be said. I get this from a little bit further in that same passage, Ephesians chapter 4, where it says in verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Um, you may remember, oh, I've talked about this verse before, the whole idea of unwholesome is something that is rotten, putrid, gross, smelly, disgusting. It's not something that you want in the room, in the situation, anywhere around you. And so he's saying, you got to put 
a guard on your mouth and you don't let any of the junk come out. You don't spew unwholesome talk. It's kind of a funny word, unwholesome, but it's much more powerful. It's, it's not generic like that. So he's saying you, that's what you don't do. You don't just let it spew. You just don't let it, the words fly, but only what is helpful for building others up. How is helpful to find? It, it's going to build each other's up, build others up, and it's according to their needs. That's where I get, say what the needs need to be said. In other words, you're gonna assess and see what, what's the need. What does that person need to hear? What's the truth they need to hear? What's the encouraging word? How can I build them up, edify them? What's helpful for building others up according to their needs that, this is the result, that it may benefit those who listen. So it's going to be beneficial it's going to meet the need at the moment. It's going to edify. It's going to be helpful. So we go into a situation and we're going to encounter needs and there's going to be some truth, something that we can apply, something that we can say that's going to be edifying, helpful, and beneficial. That's the thing that needs to be said. And then, interestingly, the next verse uh, talks about the Holy Spirit. Again, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I had underlined the Spirit earlier on in this passage when I showed it up here because it's the Spirit who renews our thoughts and minds. And here he's saying, uh, there, there are words that you can say that are, that are gross and unhelpful and repulsive or you can say the things that are going to be helpful and beneficial and edifying and is going to meet the need of the moment. And for those who are followers of Jesus, he adds this element that you have God's Holy Spirit. That's the person of God living and residing in you, giving you power to accomplish his will, insight to know what his will is, giving you the right words to say for the moment. And it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit by what you say or by implication to please the Holy Spirit, to, to uh, align your words with his words, to align your words with the truth that he is trying to plant in our hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit is the one who seals you for the day of redemption. In other words, you're not where you need to be yet, but God has put his stamp of ownership on you. This one belongs to me. I'm at work in his life. I'm going to make sure that she makes it all the way. You are sealed. You are marked for that day of redemption. There's going to be a day when what he has started in you is going to be complete. And the Holy Spirit is that down payment, that deposit, that guarantee that he is going to do the whole job. And so it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's possible to, uh, even as a follower of Jesus, for our words to be off course, for us to be used uh, to say lies, to plant lies in people's lives. That's not what we want, and it's certainly not what the Holy Spirit wants as well. What he wants for us, what we want ultimately for, our, for ourselves and for others is to say what needs to be said 
to meet the need that needs to be met. And for some of you, that uh, having the Holy Spirit to renew your thoughts and minds so that you know the truth, so that, so that God's Holy Spirit is constantly planting the truth in your mind and heart so that when you read God's word, it actually makes sense to you. And he gives insight into it. The word that you need to say is the word yes, to say yes to Jesus. And we, we want to see more and more people saying yes to Jesus more and more often. And when you say yes to Jesus, what I'm talking about is that initial crossing the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus. And when you do that, you're saying yes to his forgiveness, that you want what he did on the cross to count for you. And we need forgiveness in part for the things that we have said, the lies that we have told, the damage that we have done with our tongue, with our words. And many of you probably, as you're listening, you can think of not only people who have hurt you, but things that you have said that you wish that you could pull back and you can't you can't undo those words, but you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can have that guilt washed away because Jesus punished, took the punishment for your sins on the cross. And when you say yes to him, you are saying yes to the forgiveness that that purchased for you. And you're also saying yes to Jesus as Lord, that he's the one that you are going to lead and follow, that you're going to listen to his Holy Spirit. You're going to respond to his Holy Spirit. You're going to say the words that need to be said. He's going to teach you the truth and apply it to your heart and mind so that you'll tell yourself and others the truth as well. So I'm going to encourage you to say yes to Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus right now. Uh, if you are watching on any platform, listening in any platform, if you text the word yes, Y-E-S, to our church number, 603-225-2550, we'll be able to rejoice with you as you uh, cross the line of faith. And we also want to resource you for your new life in Christ. So for some of you, the word that needs to be said is you finally need to say, yes, surrender your life to Jesus. And for some of you, you have already done that, many of you, I'm sure. And, uh, and this is just a word that we all need to hear right now, that we want to use our words to meet those needs, to edify. We want to tell the truth. We want to express our gratitude to complete the circle when somebody does something for us. And our words are so important. They are so powerful. And so the challenge here is to use them, to wield them, to leverage them for the purposes that God intends and for the benefit of others and the glory of God. It reminds me of this verse, Proverbs 18, 21. The way I remember it is that the, the tongue has the power of life and death. And as I was looking it up, I ran across the message translation and I thought it was so good. It's words kill, words give life. In your tongue is the power of life and death. They're either poison or fruit. Poison or fruit. They can kill or give life. And then I love this. Last two words. You choose. You choose. God has placed uh, incredible power to affect 
your life and your world and the life of others, lives of others and the world around you. Our words can kill and our words can give life. They can be poison or they can be fruit. You choose. You choose. So I'm going to challenge all of us to choose life, to choose to give life with our words. Remember, in the original story, 10, 10 lepers, 10 are asking for healing, 10 walk away and are healed, but only one comes back and expresses his gratitude. Maybe that's indicative of what's going on in our world when it comes to words that only one out of ten is going to tell themselves the truth and instead of just letting that tape play over and over again of the lies that the world and the enemy of your soul wants you to believe. There's probably, there might be only one who expresses appropriate gratitude on a consistent basis. There might be only that one who goes into every conversation and says, okay, what does this person need to hear? Not what do I want to say, not as the what it was the norm, what would the world say, but what's the need here and how can I meet it? Might be only one out of 10 that is that intentional. But here's my challenge to you, and that's to be the one. You be that one. I will be that one who says what needs to be done. Saying what needs to be said is doing what needs to be done. You go into every situation and say, what's the need? And how can I meet that need with my words? Let's commit to at least one time over the next week to be that one, to notice uh, something that we need to express gratitude for, to go into a situation and recognize, okay, here's the need of the situation. I'm going to be that one. Let's just do it at least once over the coming week to be the one who meets the need, who says what needs to be done. Let me pray for you, for me. For us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you told us the truth over and over again, that you embodied the truth in your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that he gave his life so that we might be forgiven for the way that we've used our words in the past, and that you sent your Holy Spirit to renew our thoughts and our minds so that we might think your thoughts after you, that we might share your thoughts through our words, that we would tell ourselves and others the truth, that we would express appropriate gratitude. And may we be that people. May we be that one in our workplace, that one in our family, that one at the store, that one as we are interacting with friends that is always looking to meet a need with the words that we say. And Lord, I pray that as we do so, that you will speak to others through us, that we will be instruments, tools in your hands to accomplish the good that you want to do through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would show each of us at some moment every day exactly how we can be used by you to meet the needs that we encounter and that you would give us the courage and boldness to act accordingly, to say what needs to be said and to meet needs that need to be met. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen.